It was the middle of the night when all of a sudden an alarm began to blare in our suite. Sabin and I were jolted awake out of a beautiful deep sleep to realize that our building's fire alarm was going off. So we jolted awake and with adrenaline fueling our mind and our bodies, we had to decide what are the things that were most essential to take with us to leave? What are the things that were most essential that we needed to pack up in order to get out as quickly as we could? And so I hopped out of bed and I quickly tried to pack up our cats, which was quite an ordeal because they were terrified underneath the bed. Sabin grabbed some of our most treasured belongings and our two computers. And on the way out, I grabbed our emergency kit. We walked out of our suites, down the three floors, and walked outside to our meeting place. When we got there, the police and the fire trucks came. And fortunately, we found out that there was no fire in our building. But unfortunately for one of our neighbors, they were making a late night snack, perhaps a cheese bagel or something, and they set, a huge, they set off the alarms not only in their suites, but in our whole building. And as we came back into the building, or as I came back into our suite, I looked around at all the things that were good and important, but the things that we had decided weren't the essentials. And it can feel like an overwhelming thing to try and decide what are those essentials in our homes or in our lives. And so too, in the life of faith, it can feel overwhelming to try and decide what are those things that are the essentials? What is it that God requires from us? We're in a new sermon series here at 10th called Living Love. And we'll be looking together at the greatest commandment from Mark's gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark 12, or if you like, you can follow along on the screen. As Jesus tells us here in the greatest command, what are the things that are most essential in following God? One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The greatest commandment, the passage that I just read, comes after a series of questions from different teachers of the law. And these teachers are asking questions with the purpose essentially of trying to trap Jesus in some of the finer details of the law. And they're trying to prove that Jesus isn't worthy of the respect and the attention that he's receiving. But so far, at least to this point, Jesus has offered really good answers to their questions. And at least one person, one teacher in the crowd is impressed. So this teacher comes forward and he asks Jesus a question. 
not out of a desire to trap him, but instead to learn from him. He asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? You see, this teacher knew, as all of the teachers of the law, and as Jesus did, that for the teachers of the law, there were 613 commandments, which someone needed to obey in order to follow God. And no doubt, this teacher, himself realizing how overwhelming it can feel to follow 613 commands, I mean, sometimes I can't even follow one command. Imagine following 613 commands day in and day out. Realizing how overwhelming that can feel, he asks Jesus, what is the most essential command? What is most essential in our following God from those 613 commands and from all that God has written for us and to us throughout the scriptures. And Jesus, in response, says this, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, these are the five essentials of what it means to love God, to follow God, to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the five essentials. And throughout this sermon series over the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring these five essentials together, beginning today with loving God with our hearts. Throughout the Bible, it talks about the heart quite a lot and in many different kinds of ways. And in my research and reading, there was one quote that I came across that I think helped to summarize well the breadth of how the Bible talks about the heart, especially in its most essential way. It says this, in the Bible, the heart is more than a pumping station. It is the command center of the body where decisions are made and plans are hatched. It is the center of our inner being, which controls our feelings, emotions, desires, and passions. The heart is where religious commitment takes root. It is in our innermost being where we decide for or against God. We can give assent with our mind and our lips, but it is the telltale heart that betrays our true loyalties. If we were to summarize perhaps this quote even further, trying to break down what is Jesus really, what's at the heart of what Jesus is talking about of our heart? I think we could summarize it with this one word, our passion. Jesus is inviting us to love God with our passion. As one writer has said, our passions are what get us up in the morning and fuel us throughout the day. Or as the last writer said, it is our command center. It is the place where we make major decisions in our life and fuels us, both in motivation and intent. Jesus is inviting us to love God with our hearts and with our passion. And Jesus and the disciples actually say quite a lot about the heart. And I think the reason is that Jesus knows that we as humans, as people, have a tendency to give our hearts to many things, to be passionate about many things. 
When I was studying at Regent College doing my master's degree, I had an opportunity to take a class about the art and theology. And for our final project, we were asked to do a project, an artistic project that integrated theological reflection. And at the time, I'd been thinking a lot about the heart and our passions and our desires and what it means to love God. And so I'm gonna show you the picture of what I did and I'm not an artist by any means for all of you, of you who are, I love you and think you're amazing. I am not one of you, but I am so grateful for you. And if we can throw it up there. It's a charcoal drawing of an anatomical heart with the contours of the heart cut out. Laid behind the heart are different things in our modern world that seek to vie for our hearts. And the piece was called the modern heart. Things like brands, social media, products and sports teams, all vying for our affections, our passions, our desires, and our hearts. And Jesus talked a lot about the heart because in his world too, people also had the tendency towards giving their passions and their heart to many things, just as we do. Perhaps today we have many more things vying for our hearts, but the basic impulse is the same. Our hearts are easily given to many things. And Jesus, in inviting us to love God with our heart and our passion, aren't saying to ignore any other thing that we may become passionate about, but like the heart here, to begin to push aside some of the other things that may vie for real estate within the space of our heart and our passions. And to make the very core and central place of our passions and our heart the place for God. And then to arrange our other passions Things that are good and beautiful, like family and friends and church community and other things that are worthy of our passions around that central passion. We are invited to give our passionate hearts to God. And the big question is, how do we do this? How do we begin to give our whole beautiful hearts to God to become fully passionate towards him? There are many ways, but today I think we're going to look at two different ways. One is seeking to integrate our emotional life, our emotional world, into our life with God. And the second, by spending time with Him. So let's look first at our emotions. Our passions are not only our emotions, but they are deeply connected. The one of the troubles with emotions is they can be fleeting can't they? If all of us were to follow every emotional impulse that we feel that come to our bodies or our minds, we could get into some very troubling places, couldn't we? But on the other side, we don't want to ignore our emotions either. That whether we are aware of our emotions, our emotions are aware of us. And will often come to the surface based on whether we realize it or not. And if you want to live a fully integrated and whole human life, personally and spiritually, we need to learn to integrate our emotions. I shared this a couple weeks ago in a sermon. If you weren't here, maybe you watched it online. But I said that I am by nature an extremely cognitive person. I would much rather think about something than feel about something. 
Fortunately, I'm married to somebody who's not only rather brilliant, but also very aware of their emotions and the emotions of others. And often, Sabine and I have a tendency to check in at the end of our day when we're driving back home together. And we were driving back, and Sabine said, how did you feel about your day? And I told her all the things that I did. She said, do you realize that you didn't mention a single emotion in reflecting on your day? I said, that's true. She said, could you tell me one emotion that you felt today? I looked back and said, I think around lunch I felt pretty hungry. <laughs> it was a true story. <laughs> for me, being in touch with my emotions is something that takes a lot of work. And Sabine really encouraged me to get more in touch with my emotions and to learn to integrate it into my spiritual life as well. And one of the tools that I've been trying to use to help me to become more aware of my emotions and to paint with more colors on the palette of my emotional world is something called a feelings or emotions chart. It looks a bit like this. For some of you who are here in the back, maybe you need to pull out your binoculars to see some of the, uh, the emotions there. But the point is to list as many emotions as possible so that we can learn to have a greater vocabulary to what we may be feeling. And so for me, this has been helpful in realizing that I do in fact have emotions and begin to place name to those emotions that I feel. And I use this tool most frequently in my exam. For those of you who haven't done an exam before, it's an opportunity to reflect on our past day or week or longer period of time to remember the things that we did, the people we were with, the places we, were went, we went, but more importantly, where was God throughout our day? And one thing that I've been adding to my exam is what are one or two of the most intense feelings that I experienced today? And why did I feel those and where was God in those? And so today, we're gonna have an opportunity to do a small exam together. So let me invite you to become relaxed. Please don't lay down because you're definitely sitting beside someone else. If you're at home, you can lay down, watching online, you can do whatever you want. But if you're here in person, I invite you to become relaxed. If you're able, put your feet on the floor, relax your shoulders, put your hands in a, a place that's comfortable for you. And in a few minutes, we're going to play some music, and I'm going to walk you through a series of questions that are designed to help you to recognize one or two of the emotions that you felt throughout the past day, or if you prefer, the last week. And then to ask, why did you feel those emotions? And then eventually, where was God, and how did he feel about you in those places? And if you feel like I'm moving too fast for you, that's okay. Go your own pace. And so as I ask you these questions, I invite you primarily to keep in mind the one or two emotions that you felt were most intense in the last 24 hours, or if you prefer the last week. So let me invite you, close your eyes. We can cue the music now. So I invite you to reflect in your mind's eye in the last 24 hours or if you prefer the last week, to consider some of the people and places you are with. And most importantly, when you identify, to bring to your mind one or two 
of the most powerful emotions that you felt and to hold them there in your mind. Once you have those one or two emotions in your mind, to ask, why did I feel that emotion? Is it based on a memory or something that came from within me? A circumstance or an interaction? Why did I feel that intense emotion? And then finally to imagine in that emotion or in that place, where was God? And how did he feel about you in that intense emotion? invite you to open your eyes. If you like, you can write down those questions if you want to do and complete them later on. But doing an examine like this and asking, what are the intense emotions that we felt throughout the day and where was God in those is an opportunity for us not only to become more aware of how we feel and to integrate them into our personal lives, but also to invite the presence of God to them. To realize that in that place of intense emotion, even intense negative emotion, that God is there. If you feel any skepticism towards the reality that God cares about our emotions, then read the Psalms. Even the most intense negative emotions like lament and mourning are all found there. And we are invited to integrate all of the, our emotions the breadth of our emotions into our life with God. That we will find that God is there in and through them. So one of the ways that we can learn to love God with our hearts, with our passions, is by becoming more aware of our emotional world and integrating that into our personal and spiritual life with God. Another way that we can do this is by spending time with God. One of my roles here at 10th, I have the opportunity to oversee marriage ministry throughout 10th. And one of the great parts of that role is getting to read the literature of marriage ministry, both within Christian books and non-Christian books as well. And without a doubt, across the board, across the literature, one of the things that fuels passion in relationships is spending time together, 
So the reason that Sabin and I, really early on in our relationship, began to set a daily, or sorry, a weekly date night. An opportunity, no matter how crazy our weeks have been, to simply spend time with one another, even if it's just an hour or two, reconnecting and delighting with one another. We don't have a checklist of things that we necessarily need to do. We just simply are there to spend time and to delight in one another. And for our relationship, it's been one of the things that have fueled our passion and our delight and our hearts for one another. A number of years, number of years ago, I was reflecting on just how successful that date night had been in fueling the heart of our relationship. And I wondered, I wonder what would happen if I set a date with God. And I did. So on my Sabbath, I wrote a two-hour block. One of the first things that I did in the day, I would drop Sabin off at work. And I went to my favorite coffee shop in the neighborhood and for two hours just spent time with God. When I got in, one of the first things I was, able to, I was allowed to do was I could order anything on the menu just simply as a way of just delighting in my time there with God. Anything that I wanted just as a, as a reward to encourage myself to come week in and week out. So if you're starting a new practice, that could be a way of encouraging yourself to just get yourself a treat, to get yourself in the door. But when I got there, I took, often took my Bible. And again, like in my marriage, the purpose wasn't to do certain things. It was simply to delight in God's presence. So sometimes I sat in just a few verses and sometimes I plowed through chapters and books. But the purpose was to delight in God's presence. I even bought a special Bible that had extra wide margins so that I could write prayers and questions and pictures and colors throughout the Bible as a way of delighting in him and bringing color into my relationship and my time with him. And sometimes I packed up my Bible and I went for a prayer walk. Again, the point of those two hours was not to do certain things, but to delight in God's presence, to spend time with him and to fuel my passion and my heart for him and it worked. What are the things that you do to spend time with God and to fuel your passion and your relationship with him? Perhaps on a beautiful day like this, it could be getting outside, going into the beauty of the mountains and going for a hike and being amazed at a God who could create something so beautiful. Maybe it's having one of your favorite foods and marveling at a God who created our taste buds. Or as I was talking to someone after our first service, getting out in the beauty of creation and simply being in prayer with your creator. Where are the places where you go to delight in God, to fuel your passion and your connection with him? Even if it's a small amount of time, spending time with God every day or at least a few times a week, fuels our passions and our relationship for him. On those days when it feels like my time is most tight, I have a practice of, on my drive into work, putting on an app called Praise You Go, or it's also a podcast, and playing an episode that is sometimes 10, sometimes 15 minutes, and it's really simple. All I have to do is press play, and I can enter into a lead time of spending time with God. Starts often with a song and engages a scripture. 
and then engages me in some really good and meaningful questions that are helping me to reflect on my relationship with God and encouraging me to spend time with him just in those 10 or 15 minutes. And then it ends in a prayer. It's so simple and all it really requires of me is to press play on my phone. And yet for those 10 or 15 minutes, I'm able to enter into a time of spending time with God. We see Jesus throughout the Gospels, again and again, stepping out of relationship with his disciples for a period of time, stepping out of the crowds to go up to mountaintops to spend time in prayer with God. We often hear of the disciples asking, where has Jesus gone? He's gone off to spend time in prayer with God. Because Jesus knew to continue to fuel his relationship with God, his passions, and his heart for him, that he needed to spend time with him whether to something as five minutes, 50 minutes, or even a few hours. To spend time with God is to fuel our passions, our connection, and our relationship with him. So two of the ways that we can learn to carve out the inner space of our passions and our heart for God are by learning to become more aware of our emotional life and integrating into our life with God. And by spending time with him. But even more than integrating our emotions and spending time with God when it comes to creating our passions and our hearts towards him is realizing and recognizing and receiving that God is passionate about us. God is passionate about you. And all of scripture, all of the Bible points to this reality. God created not out of duty, but out of an overflow of his love and delight and passion for each and every one of you. God chose and saved Israel out of an overflow of his passion and delight in them. And Jesus chose to be born in human flesh, to live a perfect life, and to die on the cross, taking on himself the death we deserve and our sin, out of an overflow of his passionate delight and love for us. God is passionate about you. And in the formation of our hearts, even more important than what we do is realizing what God has already done for us. That as we come to recognize and receive more and more the reality that God is passionate about us, the more our hearts are formed in passion towards him. That in the resurrection, the place where Jesus returned from death back to life, Jesus proved that for those who belong to him, even death cannot separate us from his passion and his love and his presence for us. God is passionate about you. He's inviting you to receive and to recognize that passion. And in turn, to have hearts that are full in turn of passion for him and delight and love for him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you delight in us. The very core of who you are is love. And central to our relationship together is your great passionate delight for us. That you created 
out of delight for us, that you choose out of delight for us, and that you save out of delight for us. And as the resurrection showed, even death itself could not separate us from your passionate love for us. And I pray that each of us here, wherever we are, whether we are in places of mourning and sorrow and great difficulty, or places of joy and life, that today and this week, we would receive and recognize more of your passionate delight, your love in us. And in turn, we could love through that, through your love, to love and become more passionate for you. Amen.